0: Carl Dude here. Carrie and I will be back next week with a brand new show. For now, please enjoy this one from the archives. Originally published in May of 2016, Heart Disease. Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes, I'm Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States and in February of 2016 I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In that time I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone.
1: Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia. I've been on a ketogenic diet for over two years. When I started I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared.
0: And we're going to share the progress of my journey through ketosis and Richard's experience thriving for years in ketosis. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, that's right.
1: We're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice. Right. But we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail. Nah. Nah. We've done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them, and we hope to share some of that research. Where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite the research supporting any claims that we make.
0: You'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. We're going to share some of the great food we eat on this diet, and every episode we both share a recipe for an essential keto meal that we eat regularly. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start podcast number 16, The Heart Disease Show. So Richard, do we have any corrections or apologies from last week?
1: Actually, I just noticed one today. Um, It's not really an apology, but it's a slight nuance that I want to mention. Um, You mentioned last week that my lipoprotein subfraction analysis showed that I was just fine. But I think there is a nuance that we can discuss in this show because it relates directly to the dyslipidemia associated with cardiovascular disease, which is the subject of our show. Uh, so it's probably better to say I'm mostly fine, and we'll go into a bit more detail about that later on.
0: All right, great. So just to reprise, which we do every show, let's talk about what a ketogenic diet is. Richard?
1: Sure. So a ketogenic diet is not eating carbohydrates. Right. You're basically just restricting your carbohydrates to less than 20 grams a day. You're not going out of your way to eat anything with carbohydrates in, but if... If some vegetables that you eat have a trace amounts of carbohydrates, that's all cool. You probably uh, get under 20 grams a day, and that's just fine. So you don't get any energy from eating carbohydrates. You eat just enough protein to maintain all your muscles, and there's a calculation for that, and you can go back to the protein show to find all that out. Mm-hmm. And everything else is fat. So you're fueling your body entirely on fat.
0: And the whole idea is to get to this place called fat adaption. And when you're fat adapted... You can essentially burn the fat that is on your body for fuel, and therefore you don't have to eat as much fat to get the same effect.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Once you get fat adapted, you dial down the amount of fat on your plate, and your body takes it from your body fat, and you can... You can coast all the way till you get to your perfect weight. And once you do, you can start to increase the amount of fat on your plate. And then you're totally in control of of how much energy your body stores.
0: And Richard and I are also in this phase now of intermittent fasting, which is sort of once you become fat adapted, it becomes a really, really great strategy for continuing to lose weight. Uh, and bust through plateaus.
1: And I recommend people go to the fasting show to hear more about fasting strategies.
0: And the plateau show as and well. The
1: plateau show.
0: <laughs>
1: in fact, we've got about fifteen shows in the can. You might want to have a listen to some of those. <laughs> uh, yeah, <as> well.
0: <laughs> that's right. Catch up on them. Yeah. Um. You might notice that my voice sounds a little froggy. Well, I'm still not over this cold, and it's been two weeks since we recorded the last show, which I was a little froggy then. Uh, yeah, it's, this virus is really kicking my butt. Oh yeah, we're
1: going to be a bit rusty this week.
0: That's right. You know, fortunately I'm not the only one. Um, there's something going around. My doctor told me that she has patients that she's been seeing for six weeks or more that still have the virus and, and it does tend to go away after six or seven weeks. So that I'm, you know, I'm in for the long haul.
1: Yeah, fair enough
0: well anyway so how are you doing you just got done with a huge bike ride
1: yeah I did I, it was uh, like a spur of the moment thing well maybe a spur of the week thing I decided <laughs> <laughs> I was I was uh, I did a big bike ride last week and it was my normal well I guess it was my normal Sunday bike ride I do about 50 kilometers yeah. uh, I'm a push bike riding around the lake in the middle of Canberra and every Sort of once a month, I try to do a three day fast. Uh, it's part yeah. of my strategy for keeping my insulin down. And I did it last week on the bike. And at the end of my 55 Ks, I was so keen to ride more, ride some more, but I was with Julie and she had had enough riding for the day. So we decided to quit then. And I thought, next time I go out, I think I'm going to try three times around the lake. Wow. Yeah, and then I was Which is about
0: 50 miles or 70, 80, 90 kilometers you ride?
1: I I ended up riding 90 kilometers, 90.1 kilometers, and I think it's about 55 miles, so, you know. Jeez. I know. I never thought I'd be that guy, the guy that goes out on a Sunday just for fun and goes and rides (laughs) 50 miles, you know.
0: (laughs) How long did it take you? Uh,
1: It took me about four hours. So it was quite a a decent. uh, And the other thing was, I was fasted for 48 hours in advance. So we were talking about before about running on fat. I did that entire 50 mile bike ride uh, at a fairly decent pace. I was going about um, 24 kilometers an hour. So, you know, it's not too bad a pace. And I did the entire thing purely on my body fat. Hmm. So I didn't eat it. I didn't take any food with me. Well, I took a, I took a, took a, some water with some salt in it and some branched-chain amino acids that I add to it. I've only just started doing this.
0: And you weren't hungry and you didn't bonk, and that's what would have happened if you were a gluco burner.
1: Yeah, if you're a gluco burner, you only have about two hours' worth of extreme exercise energy. This hmm. is one of the reasons why a marathon is what it is. It's a two-hour ro- running race uh, because after the two hours – People bonk, they run out of their short-term glucose storage called glycogen and all of a sudden their, their brains are not able, their bodies are not able to efficiently get energy out of their body fat, uh, because their brain, their bodies are adapted to glucose and their brain runs out of energy. And literally you see these people sitting on the side of the road. The first thing that happens is that they get the shakes because their adrenal system goes into overdrive, trying to make more glucose, trying to right. goose the liver to get, to release more glucose. The liver doesn't have any to release yep. and they start getting foggy, start having hallucinations about food and they get to massive depression. So you see these, these people in, in, in ultra marathon races, who are sitting on the side of the road just crying? Wow! And that's why you know it's it's insane. One of the things about a ketogenic diet is that you have the ability to rapidly access body fat. Uh, it's one of the adaptations uh, of becoming a fat burner is that you're able to access body fat as fast as you're able to burn it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really that's part of the adaptation process. And most people, I mean, it takes about six weeks to really to get adapted, and then you become over the next, I guess, three to six months, you become really good at at the process. But uh, you know, you, right, you certainly, right. uh, you you have no energy problems after about six weeks.
0: And you've been okay. losing weight steadily for the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I lost uh, about fifteen pounds over the past month. And uh, Great. now, of course, some of that is uh, hydration. I've just exercised now for about four hours, and so. I've, right. I've become a little bit dehydrated. So, you know, for every liter of water is a kilogram of body weight. Mm. Um, so I'll slowly rehydrate over the next uh, 12 hours or so. And I, I think I'll probably have ended, maybe I'll maybe go backwards about four pounds, but it's certainly mm. an impressive okay. month. So, how are you going, Carl?
0: Well, I'm doing pretty good. I'm down 55 pounds. That's awesome. Total from when I started. Um, uh, last week, I told you I did a fast for a couple of days. Mm-hmm to try to kick the cold and and it worked for a while um but then the 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 cold came back and uh also I told you about my excursion to Taco Bell right Oh yeah oh yeah Yeah you remember that <laughs> you, Yeah
1: you didn't do that again did you
0: well, No 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 I haven't okay. done that again but what was interesting was I I did a little you know cha cha dance on the last show because yeah. I had I didn't really gain anything <laughs> Well, yeah, it came back, yeah, of course. Yeah,
1: Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I just hadn't given it a chance, no. you know. Apparently,
1: I th- you 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 probably lost so much water from the, from your gig. Maybe because you were working working hard during the gig, right? So, uh, <laughs>
0: so it took me yeah. a few days to get back to where I was, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not discouraging at all. Nah,
1: get back up on the horse.
0: Uh, absolutely, it's this is a long-term strategy for me. I'm definitely not giving up because of that. That's uh, that's silly, but. But you know, every time that I feel like I can uh, elevate above the laws of physics, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it does come back to smack me. Um, so anyway, I'm feeling I'm feeling great, other than this chest cold. Um, yeah, my head is, is feels awesome, and my body feels good and strong. And uh, I'm you know I'm still still keto keto or go home, man.
1: <laughs>
0: so in short, Richard, I'm doing great. I feel fine. I'm down 55 pounds and going, uh, continuing to go and um, staying away from Taco Bell.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a sound strategy. Awesome. So we should probably talk about our new Facebook group, which we've had running for maybe a month now. Yep. And it's really, it. there's, there's what, about 300 people in there?
0: Yeah, almost 300 people in yeah. there. And um, it's called Two Keto Dudes. And it's all one word. There's no spaces. Two keto dudes, and there's an easy way to get to it. You can go to fb.twoketo.com, and that'll bring you right to it. It's also linked on our page, of course.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a closed group because we don't want spammers in there, sort of advertising rubbish. So, which always happens in open groups. Yeah. So, um, all you have to do is uh, apply for to to come in. We don't need to know you.
0: That's it. So, uh, I guess it's time for. Mail. Mail. <laughs> mail. <laughs> mail. Oh, Listen wow. to my, voice. It's yeah, my mail. voice is terrible. Barry's I can't do Barry <laughs> White. White to this week. All right.
1: I yeah, uh, Ginger <laughs> <laughs> So I
0: uh,
1: so I actually on the way back from my bike ride. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I rode up to my letterbox. <laughs> and guess what I found Carl? <laughs> <laughs> mail! Uh,
0: uh, mail. <laughs> mail. <laughs> Uh, hey, so. We have two comments from the Facebook group this yeah. week. The first one I'll start with is from Sandy MacDormot Westbrook. And uh she says, Someone told me about a way to eat carbs once a day and still lose weight. Is this true? Ooh. And now you think she had Taco Bell in her eyes, like yeah. I did last week. But but uh somebody um answered, no, you know, unless they're leafy greens, cheese, nuts, or other keto carbs. But there actually is a diet called the carbohydrate addict's diet. Really? Yeah. Wow. The whole idea of this is you can eat within one hour a day, and you only get that one hour window. You can eat whatever you want. Yeah. And you see people eating big steaks and you know bread and beer stuff it as and much as you stuff. possibly
1: can in that window.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And so, what do you eat for the rest of the the rest of the day? You eat. Fat.
0: No, for the rest of the day, you are, you're supposed to have only low-carb and low-fat foods. Right. So, protein only. Oh, no. So, <laughs> I, I have tried this on several occasions because that seemed like the holy grail yeah, to me. it's a you know?
1: diet. <laughs> It, <laughs> it really never is. worked. No, that's stupid.
0: Well, you know, I'm, it might work for some people, yeah, yeah. but my metabolism is too deranged to handle that amount of carbs, yeah. so... No, it doesn't work for me. No,
1: carbs make me hungry. If I, if I eat carbs, I eat more food. And that is the basis of diet for me. When I don't eat carbs, I don't get hungry. I can run off my own internal store and I end up eating less during the day than, than I'm burning and I'm slowly drawing down in my body stores.
0: So I've found that at this point on my journey, uh, my blood sugar does go up and, and fat gets stored because I'm obviously gaining weight if I eat carbs but i don't get hungry like uh, you know carbs used to make me hungry but they they don't anymore at least m- at least i can't perceive the hunger maybe it's because maybe it's because now i know the difference between carb addiction and uh you know true hunger yeah
1: i th- i think possibly you may be coming a little bit less insulin resistant so you don't have as much of the right. compensatory hyperinsulinemia and then the reactive hypoglycemia which is when right. you overproduce insulin uh, it overcorrects and it takes your blood glucose low, and then you know, mm. you, you got to get a Snickers bar in you. Um, and that's <laughs> that's that's sort of, that's I, I still have that. I mean, for me, uh, m- for me, if I eat any carbs, I turn into the cookie monster. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I
0: used to be that way when I was a carb burner. You know, mm. I would try, I would go low carb for a few days and it'd be great. And then I'd get bored and have some cheese and crackers. Yeah. And the next minute, you know, like I'm down at Seven Eleven eating Ben & Jerry's. Oh, yeah. That's the way I used to be, yeah. but now actually I could do that. I could have the cheese and crackers and go to bed and not. Wow. But I don't. No. You know, I don't.
1: No.
0: Yeah. <laughs> last week aside. Yeah. Last week. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Yeah,
1: last week yeah, an exception. Yeah. yeah. I, I find. I find that the the one thing I really like about keto is control. I find that I have amazing amount of control that i just never had before yes i was out of control and i was uh, i was not able to do anything at all about it mm. uh, because of the way my body was and because of the way the food environment is mm-hmm. uh, but as soon as i was able to identify the elements in the food envi- environment that were sending me out of control um i've i've developed an amazing amount of control yeah so very happy with that it's
0: amazing i'm I'm very much uh, in agreement with you, sir. Yeah. Um. You have a comment also posted in Two Keto Dudes. Yeah,
1: I do. There was a, and, and this is actually a common thing that we've heard before. Um, this is from Jay Letterman. And his comment was, still getting a lot of concerns and unaccepting attitudes from family members towards this diet. We yeah. Really started to lose weight. And feel good too, and it totally bums me out when a loved one says they can't accept what I'm doing because it goes against traditional dietary norms. Mm -hmm. I feel like I can't explain myself or convince them what I'm doing is healthy and is working. Even after going to the doctor and getting great blood results, it still isn't enough. Anyone ever deal with this and any suggestions? And and I I screw on yeah <laughs> sort of. <laughs> no, I, most most people uh, most people in my experience come to the earl, come early to the decision that the first rule of Keto Club is that no one ever talks about Keto Club.
0: <laughs> well, I tell you what, I used to get um, a lot of finger wagging from uh, family members as well, and um, I I was affected by it when you know when I would do it by myself and. I didn't have the community behind me, you know? Yeah. And and uh, I would go – it wouldn't be enough to shame me into going off it. Yeah. It's really a shame how that happens. It that is. People just, you know, they wag their finger at you and tell you, you got to watch out, you know? And when the fact of the matter is it's an emotional response that has no basis in science, and and you can prove them wrong. And if the numbers are on your side, they can go pound sand. Show me the,
1: show me the science. That's what show always me comes the science. down to. Yeah, show me the science. Yeah, I, uh, I find that uh, uh, I was actually lucky. My, my family, I, I have a lot of doctors in my family, and none of them had an opinion until I'd already lost weight. Right. And then all of them said, wow, it seems to be working for you. Keep it up. So, right. you know, that's-
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it might be a good strategy not to tell anyone until you're 40 pounds down yeah. or so. Right?
1: I, I, I do find that having a community is a good thing. It's reinforcing because you don't- Nobody loses weight in a straight line. We all have right. swings and roundabouts and some some weeks- you know you will think you 're eating totally keto and being extremely uh, precise about everything that you 're eating and you you 're gaining weight or you 're plateauing or you know it 's just not working for you there 's always somebody else in the community who 's having some success, and so you can you can you can draw off some of that um, strength from uh, from other people
0: so for me, there were two things that helped me uh, resist that. One was all the science, you know, watching Volex videos and seeing all these people uh, reading the study results is incredibly empowering.
1: Especially when they cite where it comes from and then you can follow it back and look for yourself. Uh, Right.
0: Don't follow blogs that, you know, somebody's opinion of all of this without any links to research. That's right. You you have to back up what you say with science. Otherwise it's just your opinion. And um, the other thing is I had this, pro, you know, I have this cold, right? Mm. Picked up a virus. Yeah. Now, my wife also has it, because guess what? Viruses... Are infectious, yes. They infect people, and they go from people to people. And my mother, who I've talked about before, (laughs) who is a staunch, you know, cut out the fat, blah, 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 is in her 70s, and she's (laughs) not well. You know, she's got... She needs a hip replacement. She's got Lyme disease a couple of times. And wow. you know, and she has a head cold right now. Mm. She's got a viral infection. Okay. So we went to my daughter's dance recital last night, which was great. Uh, my younger daughter. Mm-hmm. And we all met there. And my mother was there and stuff. And and she's gone, you know, putting her hands up when I come near, her, like, stay away from me, I'm infectious. I'm like, Yeah, me yeah, too. Me too.
1: <laughs> you know?
0: I <I'll> tried you. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So um, I heard from my elder daughter who was there that, uh, quote, Grammy thinks you're sick because of keto. <laughs> of course <laughs> she
1: does. And what's she sick and because she, of? <laughs> and she's
0: sick. Not And my wife, who isn't keto, is yeah. also sick, but yeah. I'm sick because of, of keto. You are. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So people, here, here's what people do they project their fears onto other people so yes. they can more clearly see them. Yeah. And this is just a part of psychology one hundred and one. Mm. Um, when somebody's afraid of something, and you remind them of what they're afraid of, of in themselves, they will project that onto you, and yeah. then say that you're this and you're that and you're the other thing. And uh, you know, this is a classic example of what what's going on there.
1: Now, I'm surprised that she can't. She can't see that you look totally different. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. look, I, I've known you for, well, f, for over a decade. And 55
0: a, a, pounds is a lot of weight. Absolutely.
1: I've never seen you so slim.
0: Yeah. So, I, I don't, I can't remember the last time it was. So the other thing uh, that I got to mention, and this is germane to the comment, yeah, is that I, uh, as I said before, I went to my doctor after losing, I don't know, 30, 40 pounds, and she was amazed. However, she was afraid of my LDL spike, which happens on keto. Right. Yeah. You know, some people, their LDL goes down after three months, four months or whatever. Some people, it goes up. Mine went up. Mm. And I said to her, do you have any evidence or show me the science that high LDL is a marker for heart disease? And she says, no. Mm. And I said, "Well, I just happen to have printed out a bunch of studies that show the opposite is true. Yeah. That low LDL is associated with heart disease. Not only that, but dropping if LDL you really- is
1: associated with it."
0: Yeah, lower, mm. a drop in LDL that's is associated with...
1: People who drop over 14 years over the follow, following 18 years have a, have a higher risk of uh, coronary event, yeah.
0: That's right. So so I said, if you're really concerned about heart disease, let's test for heart disease. Let's not test for cholesterol. And right. she said, fine. And I went for a carotid artery ultrasound, mm. which tests the thickness of the arteries in your neck. So how
1: do they do that? Is it like a, they've got a, an ultrasound wand, like a pregnancy wand, but on your neck?
0: Exactly. It's an ultrasound wand. It looks like a little, um, like a shaver, you know, Mm -hmm. it's about the face shaver size and they just poke it into your neck and rub it around with some gel or whatever. And, uh, and she, because she told me, my doctor told me that I tell you what I see in these people who are look fine and everything, they have these strokes and heart attacks and over and over again, we see. Placking, really bad placking in the carotid arteries. Right. So I went and got the ultrasound, and guess what the result was? What
1: were the results?
0: (laughs) Clear. Yay! (laughs) No significant placking sclerosis. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. So even so, I feel your pain, man. Mm. Even after losing weight Mm. and you know lowering blood pressure, lowering triglycerides, which are really nasty. Yeah. And and getting an artery test that showed my arteries are healthy. They're still <laughs> still saying not happy. They're yeah. still not happy. Yeah. You know, uh
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I feel your pain in this particular example, but uh, I'm it's sure terrible. that I'm sure that uh I'm sure that someday you're gonna you're gonna do some kind of test that pr- that makes her happy. But in the meantime, I'm sure you're happy with the weight that you've lost. And uh, well, I'm
0: happy with me. And yeah. and here's the thing that Richard and I really need to iterate over and over again is that we are not saying that if you do what I did, your arteries will be clear. No. I, I could add had arteries that have been clear. All my life, You must I have, have no, had, no yeah. idea. No, you must have had. I don't, I don't know think. if the ketogenic diet helped that, or you know, I don't know if there was placking before and now there isn't. Mm. I don't know that. No. All I know is from my experience. Yes,
1: and, and it's just, it's the same for me. All I can all I can do is tell you my experience and show you any science that I've found that relates to my experience. Right. This is why we call the podcast Two Keto Dudes." We're not doctors. Right. We're not. We're not international book authors, or we're not even. Um, and we're not even particularly knowledgeable or educated on the topic <laughs> other than we have a, a, a unique experience of having gone through this process bef- before. You know, if we make a statement, make an assertion, uh, we'll do our best to try and find the science for it. And we hope that people listening to us uh, who disagree with us um, uh, are willing to find something to refute us. And, and we, will, we would love that. That right. would be wonderful.
0: Absolutely. That would make me very happy. All right. Let's talk heart disease. So what is the science around heart disease, and what is it anyway?
1: A lot, you hear a lot of people talk about cardiovascular disease, and heart disease is a component of cardiovascular disease. Basically, it's it's a disseminated, obstructed arterial disease, uh, and it's caused by plaques narrowing the arteries, and, and what it does is it reduces the blood to organs that uh, are critically need uh, a critical blood supply like the heart or the brain. And so if you have a restriction of blood to the heart, it's called a myocardial infarction or a heart attack. Uh, And if you have a restriction of blood to the brain, it's called stroke. And um, so, yeah, this disease didn't really exist until the 20th century.
0: Yeah, it was like the 50s when it started, the Korean War.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it it was mostly killing old, rich, white dudes like uh, President Eisenhower.
0: Right, he had he had uh, several heart attacks and then eventually died of a heart attack, but he this was a really great case um where he thought he was told that it was uh fat and so he went low fat and had more and more heart attacks.
1: Absolutely. He 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 went low fat. The poor guy was eating like uh dry flour crackers with nothing yeah. on them and oh And he still had multiple heart attacks and worse. Of course, what happens when you have a disease that's specifically striking rich old white dudes is there's a freak out. Freak out. He freak out. So (laughs) everybody wants to throw money at it, right? So, um, they spent billions on some of the largest, um, research projects that The human race has ever done,
0: and they were all still suffering under the um, delusions of Ansel Keys' seven-country study, weren't they?
1: Well, that's that—that's where all this came from. Because you know, once if, once there was a freak out and people were throwing money at it, you have a lot of uh, researchers putting effort into working out why it happened. And as right. I mentioned, that the uh, heart disease is caused by plaques narrowing the arteries, so. Mm. Cholesterol is found in these plaques and so there was some study into working out how cholesterol gets into these plaques and there right. was a theory that if you if you eat something that causes you to have higher amounts of cholesterol, you get more likely to have heart heart disease. And so Uh, as I said, we spent billions of dollars into these studies to try and ferret out what things people were doing that caused their cholesterol to go up and how that caused heart attacks or how that was associated with heart attacks.
0: And you can also see how it really was obvious to these people because they were still eating their carbs, but when they cut out their fat, their LDL dropped. Yeah. And that is true. If you go on a low fat diet, your LDL will drop. So they figure, I mean, that's Two false indicators, right there, Pretty much. because the real LDL—that's the problem LDL—is is from your liver, and it's created when you eat carbohydrates.
1: Yes, well, it's—it's that it's we, we didn't realize this until uh, until 1980s. But yeah, the, when what we knew in the 50s was. The, it, cholesterol was the problem, yeah. And we had this theory that cholesterol uh, eating saturated fat causes cholesterol to go high, which causes cardiovascular disease. I, I right. should I should mention, despite the amount of money, the billions of dollars that have been put into proving this hypothesis, it's actually never been shown. Right. In fact, the null hypothesis that this is not a Causal relationship has been proven multiple times,
0: and non-causation proves non-correlation. Even though correlation does not prove causation, yes,
1: right? it, it, it is. I mean, correlation doesn't doesn't show you much at all. But there is a root cause to heart disease, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on in the in the podcast. But we had this theory that cholesterol was the problem, and and if you calculate the numbers, if you have a large enough group of people and you work out what their cholesterol rates were and what they're eating and how often they have heart attacks, you can see that there's a very weak association between total cholesterol and cardiovascular disease. Right. The problem is that nobody understood the mechanism. Yes. The theory was there's cholesterol in these plaques, therefore eating cholesterol or eating things that cause your cholesterol to go high increases your risk of a heart attack. Right. But cholesterol is used to shore up and fix, it's part of the... The repair mechanism of the plaque, clearing up inflammation.
0: Not only that, it's part of the metabolic process of life. If you take away cholesterol, you you die.
1: Yeah, cholesterol is essential for uh, most of your brain is made of cholesterol. So you know it's. uh,
0: So it's a vicious cycle, right? You reduce the cholesterol in your brain, and that keeps you uh, stupid.
1: So, yeah, so it's, 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 that's a
0: joke, people. I'm not, <laughs> that's not science.
1: No. So the theory is that saturated fat in your food causes cholesterol in your blood, which causes heart attacks, which is, as right. I mentioned, has never been proven. But Correct. in, in 1949, we learned how to ultra centrifuge blood to separate out two different kinds of cholesterol, HDL, high density lipoproteins and mm-hmm. low density lipoproteins. And HDL is, we've spoken about this during the, our cholesterol show, but HDL is protective. Um, and we found that out from the Framingham study, uh, from Framingham data in 1977. That showed us that there was a negative correlation between HDL and cardiovascular disease.
0: So the higher your HDL, the lower your risk of heart disease. The lower
1: your apparent risk of heart disease. That's right. LDL is still only weakly associated with cardiovascular disease. In fact, it's, right. it's probably more accurate to say it is less strongly weekly associated with cardiovascular disease. Yeah. <laughs> so it's more weakly. <laughs> and
0: I'm walking proof of that. My LDL is higher yeah. and yet my arteries are clear.
1: Absolutely. But one of the confounding factors is we actually found some uh, ways to make drugs uh, to reduce to lower LDL, statins. Right. Um, in fact, there's a bunch, of, a bunch of different drugs, but statins are probably the most famous and most well-known ones. Hmm. Um, and in 2008, Americans spent more than fourteen billion dollars on LDL lowering medication. Whoa! So it's there's a big market in there for and, and some people wanted to put L, uh, statins in the water supply or into yeah. condiments at McDonald's so you know you could get Ugh. you could get salt and pepper and statins to put, <laughs> to put on your burger, and it's right. it's insane because um, the uh, the number of people to actually treat to save a life with statins. If you are talking about a population of people who have already had a heart attack, it's like you have to treat 141 people to save one life. Mm. And people think when I go on statins, oh, well, you know, if I go on statins, it's going to double my or halve my risk of getting a heart attack. Well, no, it's it's going to increase your chance of surviving a heart attack uh, by one in 141 people to treat.
0: Mm.
1: A lot of this comes down to the fact that uh, doctors aren't great at math so they don't
0: know, they don't know the science of nutrition either
1: well they they don't it's a demarcation issue you know the, early on doctors mm. decided they couldn't know everything and so they've they hived off the field to dietitians and nutritionists and doctors decided right. okay we don't need to understand any of this because there are professionals who can Focus on this. Right. Thing. So, where are we in the process now? We, we know HDL is good, but there are no drugs that can fix that. There's no, we've had a couple of drugs that will raise HDL and they, they also raise heart attacks.
0: <laughs> yeah. And eating saturated fat raises HDL. We know that. That's right.
1: Well, saturated fat has very little to do with heart attacks, and that's been proven. Zoe Hargrave's Mm. uh, uh, paper last year showed that we never had sufficient evidence to actually reduce saturated fat in our diet. Mm -hmm. First of all, we thought, oh, it's cholesterol because cholesterol's in the the plaques. And then we thought, oh, well, it's not total cholesterol. There's different kinds of cholesterol. There's a good kind and there's a bad kind. So let's look at the bad kind and let's try and find some way of pharmaceutically lowering the bad kind well
0: and that's essentially where doctors are today they see that you have high ldl yes and there's only one ldl number on the test that they give you that's right and they put you on a statin and that's all that they know most of the you know that's the conventional wisdom
1: yeah we've known since 1980 ron krauss discovered in 1980 that you could further subfractionate ldl with a machine called an ion mobility analysis machine Mm-hmm. And it can actually separate LDL into different densities of, of lipoproteins. And he was able to show that small dense LDL is the bad one. And all of the other LDLs are fine. Yeah. So the question is, you know, your total LDL number doesn't tell you anything about your risk of cardiovascular disease. You need to you need to basically get this thing called the lipoprofile analysis and and uh I'm at, I actually have mine <laughs> in front of me, um, and that's what
0: you—that paper that you hear. That, the the is, paper is... that you hear
1: in front of me is me showing to the to, to Skype uh, so that Carl can see yeah. my, uh, my my chart, and it's a it's a pretty looks like some
0: nice colors.
1: Uh, it's pretty, lots of nice colors. In fact, uh, it, it actually tells me. I mentioned at the top of the show that uh, that my lipoprofile profile analysis is mostly fine. There there are seven different categories of LDL from light and buoyant, fluffy. Uh, pattern A, benign um, LDL to small, dense, uh, atherogenic pattern B LDL. So mm. one and two is the light and fluffy stuff, and then you have three, four, five is the intermediate stuff, and then you have six and seven is the really, really bad stuff. Okay. I have some three. I have no four, five, six, or seven. Mm. Most of mine is one and two. So most of mine is large and fluffy, but I have a little bit of intermediate. LDL, and that may or may not be an issue, mm-hmm. but there are some other things in my blood results that are going to go into a bit more detail, and that will actually give us a bit more information. So,
0: Okay. So now that we know that not all LDL is created equal, and it's the really small kind that uh, caused the problems with uh, heart disease, what, uh, where do we go from there?
1: Well, now we have to work out in what populations is that small, dense form of LDL high? And um, Austin et al. in 1990 showed that people who have high triglycerides also have high, small, dense LDL. And so it appears that the production of triglycerides, and uh, for the most part, that's fat that's made out of excess carbohydrates by the liver and uh, shipped off to the fat cells to be stored for short-term or and long-term energy storage. So they showed the ratio of pattern A, that's the good kind of LDL, to patent B, the bad kind of LDL, as your triglycerides go up. And it appears that around about 100 milligrams per deciliter of triglycerides, if you're above that, you have mostly the bad stuff. If you're below that, you have mostly the good stuff.
0: So what were the results of your triglycerides on your blood test?
1: Well, my triglycerides in this last test that I had done uh, were 128. So that's just over into the category of making some pattern B uh, mm-hmm. LDL. So uh so that's that's not a good thing. Uh, now my last blood test a year ago there were 100 so I was right on the mark of the demarcation line between the two
0: Now what were your triglycerides before you started
1: My triglycerides when I started this were 1111 Oh my
0: <laughs> So I don't think 128 is a problem No, I know I was I was
1: I was Mr Patton B back
0: then <laughs> Jeezum
1: Yeah So uh yes yeah, so I've had I might and and my at the time my hba1c was 11.2 i'm um, currently yeah. 5.2 so i've been focusing for the past year on blood sugar and i because i'm di- type 2 diabetic and because that's the most important risk factor for 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 my health uh i've been focusing on that and i've been neglecting a little bit the lipids and as you can see my triglycerides have gone from 100 to 128 that's not bad but it's but it's, it's not yeah. it's not a direction that i intend to head so yeah. about so soon after I had my blood tests done, I started uh, I started using a food diary again, and I'm yeah. being very focused about what I eat. And uh, and as you say, as you see, I've I've lost a lot of weight this this month, and I'm yeah. I'm putting that down to the fact that I'm eating mindfully. I'm calculating everything I'm eating. I'm not counting. Good. I'm not counting calories. I don't think counting right. calories is a useful activity. But no, I don't I think have, so either. I am being aware of how much. Uh, How much carbohydrate and how much protein I eat during the day?
0: All right. So let's talk about how the low carbohydrate diet affects and addresses cardiovascular disease. And in particular, these markers we're talking about. Yeah. um, With Richard and I, both of us have lowered our triglycerides. Um, my LDL went up, my uh, HDL went down, actually, after the first two and a half months. But I need to have another blood test soon. By the way, I'm getting a subfraction analysis this week. awesome. And, uh, yeah, I'll I'll bring that test, which will include all the LDL and HDL. Yeah. But um, we've also seen that, uh, you know, not only losing weight, but in most cases, LDL goes down uh, over, you know, after six months or so.
1: There's, there's a good video online about, with Steve Finney talking about this process of why, why some people get, uh, get an increase in LDL. And part of it has to do with the fact that, um, all of our lipids are stored in our fat cells. Right. And lipids include, uh, triglycerides, which is body fat, um, and, you know, eating fat that you that you're sending off to, be bod- to become body fat. Mm. Uh, it also includes your cholesterol, which is a, a, a lipid molecule. And mm-hmm. so in your fat cells, you're storing both cholesterol and triglycerides. Yeah. Uh, they're carried together and they're stored together. So as mm-hmm. you become a fat burner, you start now drawing down on that body fat. Yeah. You're dragging it out of your fat cells. Your fat cells now have cholesterol in them because they've lost some of their triglycerides. And that mm-hmm. cholesterol uh, basically comes out of the fat cell at the same time that you your triglycerides come out.
0: So what Finney says is the cholesterol and triglycerides come into your bloodstream and then the liver flushes it out? Is That's that what right. he says?
1: Yeah. So what happens is the, the, the way that the body gets rid of cholesterol that it doesn't use is that the liver exports it as bile, which uh, basically sticks it in the gut so that it can be used to help fats – uh, make their way through to be absorbed and out of the out of the food, and then the bile goes out through feces. So, um, so mm. literally for the all the time that you're losing weight, you have slightly elevated cholesterol because your highways are full of cholesterol making their way out the back door. Mm. So, uh, mm-hmm. so that's uh, so that's why some people uh, have see a transient increase in LDL, and as soon as you stop losing weight, then that uh, should settle down.
0: So the question is is that dangerous? I mean, you know, it, let's say that my carotid artery test came back and or let's say that somebody listening goes and does an artery test and they have plaque. Yeah. So now you're, you your your arteries are placking and you're filling your uh blood vessels with fat that is being removed by the liver. Yeah. What is, what's more dangerous? Being fat and having high cholesterol and high blood sugar or, you know, the, the fat moving away and uh, being removed.
1: I think if, if you have uh, signs of uh, atherosclerosis, uh, you really want to do a lipoprofile analysis to work out whether you're making small dense LDL. Right. And if you are, then you need to basically go on a diet that makes less SDLDL small dense LDL and as Austin et al showed in 1990 that is a diet that lowers triglycerides and as Ron Krauss showed in 2005 a low carb diet reduces small dense LDL and increases HDL by lowering triglycerides. So literally a uh, low carb diet will specifically uh, target your production of uh, small dense LDL and HDL and make you less um, less atherogenic now the interesting thing I was listening to on well, on my bike ride I listened to podcasts on my bike ride I was listening to a sea Malotra um, who is a British cardiologist speaking at a conference in South Africa and he said that changes in the diet can change your atherogenic uh, expression in in your arteries in as little as three months if you go for a, a test that shows that you're atherogenic, you're producing um, ar- uh, arterial plaques, changing your diet can uh, fix this within uh, in in three months. So.
0: so I have some evidence of this. There's a link that I'll post here. It's an article that cites 23 studies of low-fat versus low-carb diets. And uh, the article itself doesn't make the claims. It links to the studies, and these are Scientific studies—they're not blog posts or whatever. Yeah,
1: I love uh, blogs and articles, uh, online articles that show you cite the references because then you can go in and look for the look for yourself.
0: Right. So what I don't like about this and these studies that many of the studies are short term. Right. And not only is that not good for science. But it also gives the naysayers, you know, something to poke you at. Mm. You know, well, that may be fine over three months, but what's the, what are the long term effects, right? Well, what are the chronic effects of a ketogenic diet? Okay, but anyway, there were two studies, number twelve and number twenty, that went on for a year, and two studies, uh, sixteen and twenty three, that went on for two years. Nice.
1: Is that the Israeli one that went on for two years?
0: There was a couple of them, yeah. One was the Israeli one, yeah. Um, but here's one that went on for a year. The Atkins group had the greatest improvements in blood pressure, triglycerides, and HDL. The LEARN diet and the Ornish low-fat ah. diet had decreases in LDL at two months, but then the effects diminished.
1: That's the Z study from Chris Gardner's group at Stanford.
0: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. That's right. And so that's sort of the opposite of what happens with a ketogenic diet which is your LDL goes up in the first 2 months or 3 months Can or whatever and as you're losing yep. weight mm. it could Yeah.
1: Some people it does. Some people it goes down. It it's it's it, some people yeah. it stays the same. So, you know, right. yeah, it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's not a great marker of anything. Uh we've, no, we've right. we, as as I mentioned before we, we we kind of focused on it because we're kind of in the sort of the HDL good LDL bad, two legs good, right. four legs bad, kind of thing. Yeah, this so.
0: is where we are. This is where doctors are. They say LDL up. Okay, you're going on a statin. That's the only thing they'll bring it down. It's crazy. Yeah. So, anyway, I highly recommend you reading through all those studies. And what, what they do is they they show you the, um, uh, the scores and average them. Hmm. And they show you the comparison with graphs of all 23 of these studies. Yeah. And it's remarkable. That's and awesome. guess what? The low carb diet wins. Pretty much. It's that- just. It's better and everything
1: that that uh, Chris Gardner study the A to Z study is awesome. You can actually there's a, vi- a video on YouTube of him presenting this to an audience, and he's actually a vegan. The guy, Chris Gardner, and 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 he states during this presentation, it's entirely not what I expected to happen. I expected the ornish wow. the ornish diet to come out ahead of everything. Yeah, uh, I'm a vegan. My wife's a vegan. I raise my kids vegans, and I totally mm. wasn't expecting this. But what he did find was that in every population of these four diets that people were on, uh, there were people who did well and did bad, did poorly. Yeah. And he came up with a hypothesis that you could find out whether somebody was insulin resistant or insulin sensitive, and you could predict which diets they would do well and poorly huh. on. And he did a subsequent follow-up study that it came out I think just 2015, where he actually showed that uh, that uh, that hypothesis had some legs. He was able to show that you could give some prediction by insulin resistance status on which diets. And people who were highly insulin-resistant were better on the low-carb diet and people who are highly insulin-sensitive were better on the low-fat diet.
0: And it turns out there's more of us than there are of the insulin-sensitive kind. Is,
1: yeah, there's like yeah. at least 52% of people in California, uh, according to UCLA, are Insulin resistant, either diabetic, pre-diabetic, or diagnosed or undiagnosed. So,
0: so how do I know that I'm one of these people? And you know, everybody says, uh, "Oh, they're listening," and they say, "I'm overweight. I have pounds to lose." You know, I'm going to go ketogenic. And even people who have you know 15, 20 pounds to lose might want to go ketogenic or think that they ought to, but. How do I really know that it's going to work for me?
1: You can be overweight and be, still be quite insulin sensitive and just be eating too much food. But to become obese, you really need to be insulin resistant and to have a real problem with glucose metabolism. And that really uh, kicks off uh, the the whole insulin resistant spectrum. So. Okay, uh, but you
0: can also be thin and be mm, uh, insulin resistant.
1: Yeah, I think you really need to get a blood test to be able to determine that. There's a thing called a craft. Insulin assay, Kraft, K R A F T. Mm. Um, It's named after uh, Dr. Joseph Kraft, who is a pathologist, American pathologist, who did 15,000 insulin assays and thousands of autopsies of people. And he was able to come up with a mechanism for determining uh, whether someone's insulin resistant 10 or 15 years before they become diabetic. Before their pancreas hmm. gives up. And so that's, right. that's actually, you really have to get a, an oral glucose tolerance test with insulin assay to be able to, uh, to be able to determine whether you're really insulin resistant. And that's going to tell you whether you're going to do well on a low carb diet or not. But I would say the easiest way is just try it. Try eating low carb and seeing if, if, it gives you control over how much food that you're eating.
0: So Richard, is small, dense LDL the only thing that causes cardiovascular disease?
1: No, We know actually that uh, insulin, chronic high insulin, will cause atherosclerosis. We've mentioned before about the dog study that showed that if you make a dog insulin resistant with chemicals so that you can give it a high amount of insulin without killing it, and then you do that in just one side of its body, one artery, that artery becomes fatty and sclerotic. So we know that insulin, the high levels of insulin will make somebody uh, atherosclerotic.
0: And they did that by injecting insulin directly into the arteries only on one side?
1: Yeah, into into the femoral artery of a dog's... uh, The femoral artery goes through the groin and goes down the leg and supplies blood to the legs. Okay. They put saline in one... And insulin in another. And the one that had saline did not have atherosclerosis. And the one that had insulin had atherosclerosis. So it was fatty and scrotic. So wow. they're able to show that insulin specifically causes, uh, the inflammation that requires plaques to build up. And then, you know, they become thrombotic and, uh, blood clots and, and, uh, you know, causing strokes and, yeah, heart attacks and everything. So we know that insulin does it. Now, the, the interesting thing is that a low carb diet specifically lowers insulin. And so we know that type 2 diabetics have an eightfold uh, risk of getting heart attacks over the general population. Insulin and possibly small, dense LDL could both be factors.
0: So it's a double whammy. If you have high insulin levels, uh, you're going to have sclerosis. And if you have small, dense LDL particles, they're likely to get stuck and penetrate the artery walls that are inflamed. Double whammy. Yeah,
1: or they, or they because they're small, dense, they're oxidized, and they're causing inflammation directly. So, so, okay. it, it's not too so much, it doesn't necessarily have to be the fact that they're small and can get in there. It might just be that they're oxidized, they're, they're mm. nasty oxidized surfaces and, and they do direct damage to the artery. And that's just two possible things that could be causing it. There could be lots of different factors that we all have. Smoking
0: is a huge factor Smoking, that's been shown.
1: Twofold, two-fold increase of, of cardiovascular disease if you're a smoker. Mm. There are viruses and bacteria that can cause damage to the artery. Mm. There's all sorts of things. that leaky gut could potentially let proteins in that do damage. Okay. So it's, a lot of things can cause inflammation. But two of the things, certainly... Small-dense LDL has been shown to be associated with, and certainly insulin has been directly been shown to be a direct cause of atherosclerosis.
0: So we know that as I had this procedure done, a carotid intima thickness test or an ultrasound can uh, give you a direct measurement of your carotid arteries, yep. but are there other tests that if, if this ultrasound isn't available that you can ask your doctor for sure. that will give you a more concrete picture of your actual heart disease.
1: because I, So I can think of at least one direct test and I can think of several indirect tests and, and some of them you can get with just a regular blood panel. So for example, if your triglycerides, we've mentioned before, if your triglycerides are over 100 um, yeah. if uh, milligrams per deciliter or millimoles, it's about one, if they're over one millimole, you're going to be creating small dense LDL, that's going to be bad. If your HDL is high, you're fine, you're likely producing um, less um, uh, small dense LDL. There's a study we can show you in Japanese subjects that showed that uh, HDL is a very good specific predictor of uh, of small dense LDL. Uh, and uh, triglycerides over HDL, is a factor that you can calculate yourself. If it's less than two, you're fine. If it's greater than four, you're starting to get too high. If it's over six, it's what much too high. Mm. Um, probably the best diagnostic you can get is called a CAC score or a coronary artery calcium score. And what this does is it's an X-ray of your heart with an electron beam and it shows the calcium in your coronary arteries. And apparently when your arteries are placking up, they recruit calcium to shore themselves up, and you can actually see that with a X-ray uh, using an electron beam. And uh, what I would suggest people do if they're interested in coronary artery calcium scores is watch Ivor Cummins' presentation on the root causes of heart disease. To cut to the chase, he tells us that the root cause of heart disease is insulin, uh, which I've already told you. <laughs>
0: mm, yeah.
1: But what is interesting is he talks about an engineer's viewpoint of the science behind how to isolate the root cause of a disease. Mm-hmm. And in particular, he identifies that the, that the coronary artery calcium score is the most accurate and most um, precise way of determining whether you're you have cardiovascular disease.
0: So in my case, I asked my doctor about this, and she said she had never heard of this test before, that she would have to refer me to a cardiologist in order to get that test wow. uh, done. There were no labs that she knew of that did it. She had never even heard of it.
1: So I, I had a CT scan with uh, with a contrast just this last week to have a look at my liver. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to see whether I still had fatty liver. And it turns out that I can show you a, a CT scan from uh, three years ago that was a very fatty liver. And now I have a CT scan from now with an unfatty liver. And I'm going to take both of those models because they're three-dimensional Uh, Computer models. Uh, I'm going to take both of those and 3D print myself uh, a quarter scale version of my liver before and after keto. So
0: you're such a geek. I know, I I
1: know, but so while I was getting my CT scan, I asked the lab technician, Can you do a coronary artery calcium score? And she said, Yeah, that's an old test. We just about everybody can do that. Nobody asks for it anymore. So it's not like a modern, you know, it's not like a a, a recent thing. It's uh, something that uh, a lot of uh, diagnostic labs can do. So um,
0: it's just easier to prescribe a statin and get you out. Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
1: So I'm going to uh, get myself a a CAC score, Uh, probably get one next week because I'm going to see my doctor about the results of my CT uh, scan. So
0: Very good, Richard. Well, I'm looking forward to that. But now you know what time it is. It's time for... Recipes! 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 (laughs) Recipes.
1: Awesome. So, Carl, what do you have for us this week?
0: All right. Well, you know, (laughs) my uh, eating habits have really changed since I started. You know, when I started my keto diet... I was all about bread substitutes and mm. and snacks, like the cheese crisps and um, all the stuff that I could eat like that. Now I eat one meal a day, you yeah. know, and that's enough yeah. for me. But um, I saw somebody posted in... I think it was Keto Ninjas, mm-hmm. about this low-carb bread.
1: Nanette posted it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That was in Two Keto Dudes, she posted, I think.
0: Well, before that, mm-hmm. I saw it in, in Keto Ninjas. Right. I can't remember who posted it in Keto Ninjas, but it's Mahler's low-carb bread. And, I, you know, sandwiches are what I've lived on all my life. I love sandwiches. If yeah. I can't make them myself, I'll go through the drive-thru and get a sandwich. Yeah. I mean, that, that was my MO. And so a lot of people can't imagine themselves giving up their great sandwiches. So, Mahler's low-carb bread is only one net gram per slice. Let me say that again. It's a commercially available bread that's only one net gram of carbs per slice, and it tastes pretty good. It's made with flax and soy. And uh, it just tastes like a wheat bread.
1: Nice.
0: Best when toasted or grilled.
1: But you probably can't have like half a loaf.
0: No, but I can have three sandwiches a day and stay under my limits.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: So let me tell you about my lunch yesterday. Sure. I took uh, two slices of Mahler's bread okay. and toasted it nice and toasty. Mm-hmm. On one side, I slathered some mayo. On the other side, I slathered some pesto aioli. Right. So this is basil, garlic, cheese. Oh, it's like a pesto mayo. Oh,
1: nice. All right. So we get. So I know where we're going. Yes, we've got some tomatoes as well, right? Because if you've you got basil, yes, you've got you know tomatoes.
0: Yep. Yeah. So I take two slices of ripe tomato, mm-hmm. put them on each side, and I cut my slices, you know, a quarter inch thick. Oh um, yeah. You know, maybe even a half inch. And so two slices, some pepper on that, and then bacon. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about maybe six full slices, so half slices. 12 so baby you know, you know oh, what i'm saying yeah, i stack it yeah. nice. up with bacon and a big chunk of iceberg lettuce oh, and lovely. you know i can barely fit it in my mouth but man and that was just sandwich number one <laughs> sandwich number two was also Mahler's toasted bread mm-hmm. with butter on it and then two fried eggs fried in bacon grease oh yeah and with uh, melted smoked gouda slices on them oh more bacon.
1: Oh, now I'm getting on hungry. The sandwich. Now I'm getting. Now I need some yeah. bacon stat.
0: <laughs> More bacon on the sandwich, and then that's it. And uh, I was two pounds down the next day. Oh, wow. And by the way, that was lunch.
1: So that's a meal for a day.
0: That's my daily meal. Yeah. Come evening time, I sit out by the fire. I have a couple glasses of wine. I just enjoy myself. Next day, I'm two pounds lighter. Ah,
1: nice. I've seen people do BLTs with no bread at all, and what they do is they weave bacon. They weave raw bacon, right. put it on some greaseproof paper, put it in the oven, and bake it so that the bacon sticks together. Yeah. And they use that weave like in, in lieu of bread. So no, Yeah,
0: I totally am down with that <laughs> if you want to do it completely without bread. All I'm saying is that this Mahler's bread at one net carb yeah, that's awesome. is great.
1: We have something similar in Australia called Herman Brot it's made from a bakery in Queensland and it's distributed through uh through superbarns and govitas through, throughout Australia so and that's that's mm. quite a good bread
0: too so I'm looking forward to uh, lunch after this podcast that's mm. my recipe richard it's it's really not a recipe it's it's a uh, it's a bread and by the way I I just found out about this you know <laughs> Mahler's doesn't pay for us to no, say it it's no. just
1: they they should they should become a sponsor
0: They should become a sponsor because it's a product that we like.
1: It is. And then we'd have a sandwich of the day.
0: Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah.
1: But, uh, I'm going to actually, my recipe for today is mayonnaise. Ah. An emulsion is where you take very small droplets of a hydrophobic solution like fats and a hydrophilic solution like vinegar or mustard or mm. so you basically, you are whisking it into very, very small droplets and you're using a chemical called an emulsifier. In the case of mayonnaise, mayonnaise, most good mayonnaises, They're made with egg yolk. And in in particular, they're using the lecithin, which is a chemical in an egg yolk, Mm -hmm. as the emulsifier. And so basically making a mayonnaise. Mayonnaise is a very highly rich, fatty sauce that you can use on things, such as a BLT. I'm going to give you a recipe for making about a cup and a half of mayonnaise. So you start off with an egg yolk and you put it in a a blender that has an open attachment so that you can pour things in from the top. Because what we're going to be doing is we're going to be putting in some ingredients. We're going to be blending it. And then we're going to be slowly adding extra ingredients. And it's going to be the slow adding of extra ingredients. that's going to make the emulsion. Mm. So we start off with an egg yolk. We add a, a heat teaspoon of mustard. You don't want a seeded mustard. You want something like a Dijon or an English mustard. Um, and then you want uh, about two tablespoons of some kind of acid. Now you can use you can use citrus, like a juice of lemon, or you can use vinegar. Uh, we like to use a, a mixture of both apple cider vinegar, a t- tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, and a tablespoon of lemon juice. And then you put a little bit of salt in, and you blend it up until the mixture is. Entirely mixed, so you can't see any differentiation between right. it's all the same color. And then you put in a drop of oil, you only need one drop and you blend it. You put another drop in and you blend it again. And you do that five times until you're just what you're doing is you're slowly introducing the oil into the mix hmm. so that it doesn't overwhelm things. If you just pour all of your oil in, you're going to end up with uh, with an oil, oil and things that don't mix with oil. Yeah, but if you <laughs> if you Blend it as you go. Uh, the old way of doing this was you, you basically put a can of oil above your head and you're whisking with a hand whisk underneath and you poke a hole in the can you let the oil drop in slowly. Right. But in the case of uh, my technique, I'm just using a blender I just start, I just start off with a couple of drops, and once it's fully mixed through, then I might add a half a teaspoonful of oil, yeah. and then I'll add another half a teaspoon, and I'll do that a couple more times, and then once that once you've done it maybe five times, half a teaspoon at a time, you're probably ready now to start dripping in the oil, and you just start dripping it in, and you make as much mayonnaise as you want. And there was a Michelin starred uh, chef, Raymond Blanc, who well, I was curious one day how many eggs were required to make mayonnaise. Cause the theory was you always have one egg and you're making about, you know, a couple of cups of mayonnaise. Mm. And he thought, I wonder how many cups of mayonnaise that I could make. And he was able to use several forty-four gallon drums worth of oil for one egg yolk. No. So it turns out that there's a very, very small amount of less than required to make mayonnaise. Wow. So you can, in theory, make mayonnaise. You can make a lot of mayonnaise with just one egg yolk. Wow. But if you like that nice eggy taste yeah. uh, in mayonnaise, which I do. Me too. Uh, then, then I, I, I'll, I'll use one egg yolk to make a whole cup and a half.
0: So there you go. You can use Richard's technique to make your own uh, pesto mayonnaise, right? You just add some garlic and basil and some Parmesan cheese, maybe?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yum. Yeah, <laughs> now I'm going to make yum. some of that. Now I'm going to make. Me now, too. You don't but... have to. Now the oil that you use, it could be. We used uh, we used burnt butter the other day, so we made a mayonnaise huh. out of burnt butter, But like ghee, yeah, like a ghee. Um, uh, but we'd actually cooked it until it actually gone nutty and hazelnutty. Yeah. as burnt butter. Yeah, yeah. Sort of... Um, yeah. Nice. But you can use you can use olive oil. You can use uh, seed oils like uh, grape seed oil. Um. Mm. So yeah. So that's my recipe for the day is mayonnaise.
0: All right, man, that's a show. Let's uh, have a heart-healthy week all Mm. and eat lots of bacon. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Look, if you have anything that you want to tell us, something we said wrong or something you don't agree with, some More research that you found to support or refute what we've said, send it by email to dudes at 2ketodudes.com or post on our website.
0: And join our Facebook group, 2keto dudes. That's fb.2keto.com. And
1: we'll see you in the group.
0: Yeah, we'll see you in the group, and we'll see you next week.
1: Good to see you.